Survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Bradley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last, Greg Norman. Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, uh, episode number 98. I'll stop uh, carrying on about the controversy of the number that we're up to and just enjoy the time that we have with one another. Lovely to be here on a huge week. Uh, you and I, Mark Hayes, have spent far too much time locked in small rooms together over the last uh, four or five days, but it's a joy to be back here yet again, my friend. It is. Great to see you, Murray, again. I just want to confirm that that is golf and professional related for <laughs> anyone who's got any nerves about that. Um <laughs> And I'm I'm a bit. You're like uh, Shane Warne, sort of getting through Sorry? the nineties. What? You're like Shane Warne getting through the nineties. No, 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 just... no, no. We don't need to go over this. There's, I've got a lot of correspondence this week suggesting that I was right, okay. uh, and there's been an administrative error somewhere in the Golf Australia framework. But that's okay. I'll move on. I'm not carrying. I'm not carrying a grudge about. Signed, Andy's mum. It should be number ninety nine. Hello, Ellie Whitaker. How are you? <laughs> hey boys, how are you doing? <laughs> I, I thought that was. I thought that was Hazy's Christmas bonus getting to be locked in a small room with you. That's where it was up for grabs at around Golf Australia. So yeah, yeah I'm sure it was. was, who was the only, no one was buying tickets. There was just one entry. <laughs> exactly. Can I just offer my condolences to you right off the top? Yes. You don't get a national championship with Zion. It disappeared. You're a Duke girl, are you not? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Have I you am. not been following the this phenomenal <laughs> rise of Zion Williamson and Coach K and how he's going to lead you to the promised land and all the rest of it? Are you, you, oh, you, how have I you mean, missed this story? Being I, old? Tu- I, I tune in and tune out with many sports right. around the world and I do a very poor job of keeping track of it when I'm in various countries for 28 weeks of the year. I can't believe I can't. you've missed I'm, this. I As know. a blue devil, I, I can't believe you've missed this. I know. I know. I'll take, I'll take it on the chin. It's okay. He'll be the number one pick in the national – because you care about this stuff, clearly. But He'll be the number one pick in the yes. draft. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can support him then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought – I was hoping there'd be a real you know, kind of lashings of devastation. Uh, I've, I've never seen that, but Ellie more just, ambivalent about something in my life. That was well, like the a last good... time I was here, my dog was going into surgery. And you thought so that's, that's what I was talking about. Were... No, no, no. <laughs> By like, the way, is there a app? Yeah, no, all good. Well, I didn't want to even ask about no, that. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was wondering what you were going. No, no, no. no. So she's okay. Yeah, good. Still That's got great. four legs. Still what do you want to dream. talk about this week? Anything? Anything jumping off the page? <laughs> it was pretty dull, wasn't oh it, God. the weekend? Unbelievable. I mean, so much has been said. Bride McPherson's going to join us a bit later on. Very keen to get his observations on it all. But is there one thing? If there's one moment of the whole four days or the Give me it. What was it? I've got it? my hand up because yep, it, it is so obvious to me that the 12th hole in the final round changed everything. And not just because of the score, but also because of the reaffirmation that Tiger hit the smart shot, yeah. which was what he was always known to do. He was always known to outthink 
99% of the players on the golf course, maybe not Bryson DeChambeau, but that's he's an extreme and quite frankly, you know, I'm not sure that he has the kind of grit that Tiger mm. or that anyone will really have the, the kind of grit to play between the bunkers on at Amen Corner with all of those people there. And don't forget, when he was playing 11, he was seeing what was happening in the group ahead at 12. Mm, you good ca- point. You can't. You can't unsee someone standing short of the hazard yep. when the players in front of them hit into it. Like you, you just can't well, force right yourself there. to. No. Yeah. They're less than a hundred meters away from yeah. you. So to, the fact that he took the smart play, did the Jack Nicholas. He said, "I will gladly take a four there by trying to hit in between the two bunkers on mm. the left rather than going for the right hole location like the rest of everyone else kind of erred towards." Um, did the right play, the right time, great execution. And it was a two-shot swing, essentially, on Tiger in the field that was challenging him at that point in time. 12, massive. It's a great point. It's a really good point. I mean, and we were wondering, because we were trying to see what was happening with the conditions, you know, the weather was coming and all the rest of it. And, you know, DeChambeau pre-tournament, in fact, you know, after his opening round where he's right in contention, he was lauding himself for understanding the wind, the particular winds um, at Augusta National better than he'd ever understood them before. And we were sitting there convincing ourselves that the wind had to have been effect because one guy can make the error, maybe two, but when you get four of them who are playing well enough to be in contention, make the same mistake on the same hole, surely it had to be more than just an error of judgment. Well, there's, there's nowhere that you can look or walk in that section of the golf course where you can throw grass that'll be indicative of what's actually going to happen. So there's no, there's no gully, there's no open space there is but it's sunken down so much below the pines that Mm. you're getting no help at all Mm. and I think it was Nick Faldo said I think 11 was playing off the left so the wind in his opinion should have been off the left but I mean you've seen who who was it was it I'm trying to think back in the day someone hit it short in the hazard pulled exactly the same club that's I was just gonna say and and hit it way into the back Clates wrote a brilliant story oh, in reference that. Yeah. Um, I commend it to you for those who haven't seen it yet on golf.org.au. Mike Clayton's done a tremendous piece. Uh, the, the headline was Clayton, a champ for the big occasion. That's referring to Tiger, not Clayton, by the way, <laughs> just, just to clarify. But he refers to Bob Rosberg, who most Australians, um, probably of my generation and younger, might know from these commentary yep. back in the day and you know maybe immortalised in a bit of 12th man too as well, Andy. Um, but Bob Rosberg hit a four-iron thinking the wind was into him. Um, so he went for a big four iron and he was right. And it went into Ray's Creek. And then he went back and reloaded with the same four iron and chucked it in the rhododendrons at the back. I mean, it's a massive difference mm. with the same club in to, to make Ali's point to emphasize it. It swirls down there. They talk about it, but you don't really know mm. until you're actually standing down there. Um, and it can be different on the tee to the green. It can be different in the middle. Um, it's, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. The one thing you know is that you can make a four and keep your masters on track if you're in the trees and the, and the shrubs and the fairway cut, Andy, of grass at the back, but you cannot do it from the bottom of Race Creek. So you have to err long to see four guys in the final two groups, basically back to back, dump mm, it in that yep. on that bank and let it run back into the hills. Unbelievable. And a Tiger's mental strength is, um, you know, say what you want about everything else in his game physically compared to what it was, mentally he's still got it. Oh, I, yeah. I just thought, oh, yeah. One of the things I took away further, further to that, Andy, is he has now won obviously five of these. He won in 97 with um, just youthful exuberance and no fear and, you know, just this crazy 
kick-ass game. The next two he won, he was at the top of his game physically. He was the power unit. He took golf to a new level. We never saw it like it or before, or since, to be honest. He won in 2007 in uh, 2000 and DeMarco was 2000 and, oh, where are we? 2007? 2005, was it? 2005, DeMarco. Yeah, 2005, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah you're right. Sorry, beg your pardon. He beat Chris DeMarco with aura and mm. he had no right to win that, but he beat him with Yep. You know, he wasn't at Tiger at his height of his powers circa 2000, and he was on his third swing reincarnation perhaps then. He's won this time with a totally different game. He's now the smartest bloke out there. Um, he's the guy who com- composed himself. He didn't let the moment get him. I can't believe that a guy, one guy can win the main tournament in the world four different ways. Yeah. Five times, four different ways. I think it's truly remarkable. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. I, the, the rebuilding of him, as a human being, uh, now we we are guessing, right? We look from afar, and we think we can, based on what we see, we think we can identify changes. Um, and clearly, the number fifteen and the chase is back on, and you know he's back. I mean, he's contended in three in the last three major championships he's played in. Mm-hmm. He's contended in all of them. So he's back. I mean, from a major championship, if he's smart now about the way he will be, about the way he manages himself through his schedule, he's going to be, you know, he plays the US Open this year at, at, Pebble, at Pebble Beach. I mean, for goodness sakes. That's the, that's the major I thought he was going to win this yeah, year. I, yeah. I didn't, like, I knew that he, obviously, he's he's got a 15th club in the bag at the Masters, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and you can see that because all of the cream rose to the top. But the, that, that leaderboard going into the final round was, I think I read that it was the strongest it by was world the strongest by, by world ranking, but also by strength of field in terms of the players inside the top, I think it was 15, since the year 2000. Mm. Like, we're talking t- strongest oh, you know, final yeah. page leaderboard in 20 years. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And to look, to look so much more in control than the rest of a leaderboard like that, I, that's what kind of set him apart for me. Do we all think he's, at 43, having been through what he's been through, there was a lot of, oh, he's never engaged with the patrons like this and he's never smiled as much and he's never high-fived. All of that's great. That's a, that's a lovely observational stuff based on who's making the observation. But do we all are we all of the view that he's more, of a, he's more human than he's ever been before? Well, he was public enemy number one. He, he was despised. Even the people that loved him, hmm. they, he actually broke people's hearts. He, I think that's... Do you know what I mean? It was, I know exactly it, was what you of, mean. it was the fall of a hero for, for kids and, and golfers and, and, you know, regular people that he gave hope to yep. in whatever sport they were in, um, just around the world, I think. And, and so yep. how do you combat that? No. You, you, have, you have to come in at zero and build your way up yeah. and regain the trust. And I think that's part of what he's been doing. And I think the, the appeal and the response of people – on various outlets in particular in the last 12 months has probably helped rebuild him as mm. a human as well. It's putting himself out there and then getting what he, the love, whatever love he could get back. There's a, there's a lot of people who haven't forgiven him, Andy. Yeah. I mean, oh, some, look, I know plenty who will never stop thinking about that. Yeah. You know, cannot and will not forgive him for the, you know, the sort of the treachery that he, um, you know, brought to bear against his wife and other women. Um, the self-idolatry was clearly all-consuming, mixed in with, you know, some 
drug-related issues that he, you know, has, has had. I mean, I'm not making excuses for him, but he, this was all brought upon by his own ego um, and the spiral that that took him on. I, I don't, I don't feel any sympathy for where he all. was mm-hmm. at all. But I do give him enormous respect. Some back, a lot of it back, by the way that he's climbed out. And I think in a country like Australia, we're, we're pretty good at never letting anyone off the hook when they bug it up. We're, we're pretty good at that, I reckon. Whereas I think the Yanks love a redemptive story. That they are the masters of the of the comeback story. Um, so I think he will be. It'll be a much more uh, eulogised, that's not the right word, celebrated story in America um, probably than it will be in Australia. I reckon we're pretty good at forgiving. I, I don't think we're good at forgetting. No, for that, oh, sorry, I should have used that word then. Yeah, I just – no, no, yeah. you're in, whatever opinion is fine, but I, I just think that um, the only way to fully get the, the forgiveness of an Australian – well, let's go with sports fan, but I think Australian more broadly is to put your hand up and admit what you've mm. done. Mm. Tiger didn't do that for a long time. I don't think that helped in his in his reincarnation, Ali. But um, he eventually got to the point where he owned what he did, even if it, even if he was brought to it kicking and screaming. Um, but this is a guy who was um, off his brain on um, medication. Mm, mm. What two, three years ago now? Driving under the influence charges in maybe twenty sixteen. Mm. I, I haven't got the papers in front of me, but. He has had some serious problems brought on by things out of his control as well. Yeah, um, I'm not saying that you know he didn't have that in him as a potential problem earlier, but that was in relation to his back and all the crippling problems he's had physically. Yeah. So some self-inflicted in, wounds, some brought upon him, uh, and the pressure that he bears. I mean, no one can possibly speak to that. Maybe Michael Jordan. I don't. I have yeah, no but idea. I, just on that, I don't think everybody who has serious physical travails becomes addicted, addicted. to, no, to painkillers and then jumps not. in their car and starts driving around town and falls asleep at traffic lights. I mean, that just – certainly there are people who are very adversely affected by this sort of stuff, but, you know. I so, think yeah. – I mean, for me, and I'm, I'm not – like I was one of the people that loved watching Tiger. I was never kind of, a, you know, one of his disciples by any means, but I did struggle to kind of get past it. But the, the more I thought about it, the more I realised that Tiger Woods having a normal existence and a normal relationship in social, any kind of social circumstance is practically impossible. Mm. He was so famous. You know, you think about Justin Bieber, arrested. Mm. Britney Spears, arrested. Mm. Like I can go through, you know. Michael Jackson. Yeah, but yeah. like he was like a child, essentially. He was, he was like a child movie star in the fact that he had so much fame so early before he really knew what to do with it. And and obviously the the monster kind of built itself and enabled itself a little bit in that regard. But just walking down the street, like I have no idea what his life was like mm. and I find it really hard to judge him for it, mm. even though obviously his choices are tough. He had women throwing themselves at him probably just down at the milk shop, mm. at the milk bar. I have no idea. I don't know what it's like to live under those no, circumstances. No, it's a really good point. It's a really good point. And I'm not making excuses yeah. for the no. addiction either, Andy. It's just... It's a, some of the, the some of them are his choices clearly, and mm. some of them may be out of his control. But either way, he has gone away and rebranded himself from within. I don't think it's a marketing ploy necessarily. I'm sure there's some aspects of that that went along with it. But with the help of people like Nike, who stuck mm. with him through the hard times, there's an amazing video doing the rounds. It's great. It is absolutely incredible. Um, 
I think the people who stuck by him have really helped him. And we saw that um, amazing moment that, that transcends everything else golf-wise that happened with his with his family uh, when, when he was in celebrations walking off the 18th green. I mean, that's the, they're the endearing they, – they will be the enduring memories of – That's the magic for me. That, that walk with his son by side and his daughter, you know, just flanking him and his girlfriend and his mum and his key people – but, but but then him, he's always been overwhelmed by the – not overwhelmed. He's always been highly charged in the moment uh, when those moments have presented themselves. But then he's always been able to regroup and go and hit the next shot. Mm. This was just – that triumphal march that he had through the adoring galleries on the way to the scoring shed, that, that is that, – he looked different. He had a different look on his face. It looked like a different person. He's not afraid to show his his head anymore. That he, I don't think he used to be worried about showing the p- people of the world that he was bald. You know, like, <laughs> oh, he doesn't give a stuff about that anymore. I hundred percent agree with you that. You know what I mean? All yeah. this, all the all the vanity that he was consumed by back in the day. I don't think he cares about that I anymore. Don't think, I don't think he he it was a walk that showed that he expected to win. I mean, mentally, he's telling himself that every second when he's out there that he is that he expects excellence and knows what he's capable of. But he he didn't look like. Yeah, when he was walking, he was like, "How good's this? Was, yeah, how good's this? Is, this yeah. is epic! Yeah, you know, yes. I've just won a Masters, which yeah. is actually something you know." And Kari Webb spoken about this at length about the early stages of her career and how she says she wishes she could go back and just remind herself yeah, right. to enjoy it as they went along. And I harp on about this to so many young players now. Like Nelly Corder is so sick of me saying, "When are we? When are we celebrating your Australian Open win? We what?" Just because you you go from week to week to week, and you very rarely actually get a chance to do it. Yeah, right. Um, Stop and smell the yeah. Roses. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and I'm in their ears about it. I'm like, great. I don't care if it's a dinner, and it's at Nando's. It doesn't matter. Like, go, and that's what the purpose is: celebrate the wins. And I don't know. He looked to me like he was actually I agree. fully in the moment. Yeah. I said that to Andy in another forum. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And I, he. Ali, we were rabbiting on during our commentary on the weekend. I was trying to. <laughs> no, you weren't. I, I know it's hard to believe, but we were. We were inst- well, I tried to instigate. I couldn't get Andy to buy into it. The Victoria Beckham Medal for the most scowls and and uh, you know least uh, shining of pearly whites. Uh, that's his idea. Andy wouldn't get into it. <laughs> but Tiger was a contender for a long period. He really was. He only he he didn't smile out there. I don't know if it was for his own purpose or if he was trying to. Um, you know, reinstate that aura over his competitors or whatever it was. He didn't smile, but by God, when he made that little putt, that smile, which was so awesome back in 1996, five, seven, you know, that three or four year period where he burst onto the scene, uh, that just all bounced back into perspective oh, again. And it, that was, uh, those moments will stay with me. I, I've, I've been the one to deride him and never going to win a major again and all that sort of stuff which I humbly apologise, Tiger. I know you listen. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was wrapped. Forget all the other stuff and his personal stuff. I've got different thoughts on that. But I was wrapped to see him do that and wrapped for him to get his moment in the sun, to hear the Augusta crowd chant, Tiger, Tiger. Yeah. And then you think back, Andy, to what it was last year in one of their own one, and it was almost like gloomy silence mm. when Patrick Reed won. God, the difference was just... There's never been chalk and cheese further apart than that. I agree with that. Uh, and I loved seeing him, the primal screams and the roars. Oh, it was gutty and it's making me sort of fire up now yeah. while thinking about it. I don't think – and I, I know that, you know, Augusta National has this prestige about it. That was so not Augusta National behaviour on the on the 18th green. And 
I wonder if that that in and of itself is just a, a showing of the shift of even the most conservative places around the world in terms of behaviorally speaking. Yep. yep. Um, are starting to loosen a little bit. I couldn't believe that. Like, there was no stopping them. I Obviously, no you chance. can't stop that many. No, no, But it didn't feel like anyone even wanted to stop them. This, and that's, was, this is Tiger, though, right? This, this is, is the Tiger, Tiger phenomenon. Exactly. This won't happen next year. If if Dustin Johnson wins next year, there's there's not this happening next year. You know what I mean? Like, this is reserved for him and him alone. I mean, we, we said it when we were doing the final day. We're trying to wonder, you know, if Tiger went on to win this thing, where does it sit in our lifetime? You know, because historians can tell you else other things, but for, just in our lifetime, in terms of a significant day in the world of golf, where will this one sit? And um, you may have you may have examples in the women's game that are just as significant. But the two that I I mentioned straight away, or thought of having thought about it leading into the time that we sat down at you know eleven o'clock, setting the day up Australian time, was the Nicholas win at eighty six prove that anything is possible at 46 years of age and just the unbelievable exclamation mark that that put on the greatest career the game's ever seen. Um, and the other one was Tiger winning his first by a million miles and the way that that reset what you had to be uh, to compete at the level and set you know the physical the, the physical changes that we saw from that day forth in in male golfers around the world. You, you, you can't be... Craig, with all due respect to those guys, you can't be those guys anymore. They, they don't cut it. You know, you can't be – you've got to be a professional athlete now if you want to be a professional golfer at the top of the tree. Well, he was, he was a game changer. Yeah. And that was – it was like everyone – that was when everyone realised that golf could be – you could be an athlete. Cool. And that Nike was, jumped on it. You yeah. know, it was different. It was amazing. Know? Yeah. Um, I th- it's funny because – I was reading an article, um, a blog actually, that Eddie, Eddie Pepperell wrote at the start of the year, maybe, I want to say, mid-January, um, if you're a fan, of, a fan of Eddie's. But he wrote a really interesting kind of piece about how he feels like the golfers of today, of today are competing with the nostalgia of the early 2000s constantly. And and not not in a pessimistic way, not in a negative way, but I don't think there was ever a moment where I agreed with him more because it just dreamt up 15 years of all of our lives as mm. well. It, it dredged all of that up on Sunday where you've seen his whole story mm. really evolve. And it's something, and that's the cool thing about live sports, is that, you know, you, you get invested and then you can you can ride the wave with the athlete. And it's something that's just, I think, he brought into, into golf itself. I think that's one of those days that will live with everyone forever. I, it, it'll be referred back to through... Oh, time immemorial. Forever. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not a man walking on the moon thing. That's not that sort of thing. But it's, a you know, something that's going to get replayed forever and ever and ever. It was, well, this actually happened. Yeah. This actually happened. Yeah. Oh, oh you've gone all conspiracy <laughs> oh, theory. We've all seen Capricorn 1, haven't we? <laughs> you know? I love that, Andy. Oh, no, 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 I'm just, of course man walked on the moon, didn't they? No one around here doubts that, do they? Uh, that could be that know. could be a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, but I just um, I just want to say back to, to um, sorry to do that too. No, no, I liked it. I'll, yeah. It took me a while to pick it up, but I got there. Solid careful. It was um, just one last thing on what you said about the, you know the changing face and everything. Craig Heatley, who's a Kiwi, who's um, a member at 
Augusta National and the guy in charge of the media section of the, all their committees, he's the one who does the or introduces the key interviews for the week and he always does the, the Masters champion. And a hell of a nice bloke in case he's listening. He, he is actually a really nice no, bloke. No, he's a great bloke. <laughs> G'day, Craig. Yeah. Craig, you're a legend. <laughs> Mate. Superstar. Uh, no, he, he actually said, um, he said something else and then he said, oh, welcome back as in, you know, to the chair as the champion. And then he said, actually, I should rephrase that. Welcome home. Wow. Which I think is an absolute, like, the, the change from not having a, a black member um, in our lifetimes mm. to the boss of the media section making a, you know, a public declaration of you're our man mm. is quite remarkable. I, I think wait till next year when he's the champion and picking the meal again. It's just going to be awesome. It's got, the repercussions of what he just did is going to be a week fantastic. after a week a fortnight after the first female tournament ever played there. Yeah, it's interesting actually. I was reading um, I was reading an article about the TV coverage, and it was the I'm trying to think of it was the highest rating for a women's golf telecast, any kind of golf, in three and a half years. Really. And I think it was the it was the highest rated amateur male or female television program showed since the two thousand and three US amateur. So sixteen sixteen years, Ma- male or That's female. Amazing. Given yeah. given the access that we actually have to watch amateur events in the last, in particular in the last five to six years, and some of the wins that we've seen there. Um, I, it was reflected. Granted, I, I think that they plunged a ton of money into getting this out there. In yeah. terms of promoting it, they really put it out. Like they had Sierra Brooks and Maria Farsi, who ended up going head to head with Jennifer Cupcho in the final. They were doing Today shows. Um, <laughs> Jennifer and Maria both went on Jimmy Fallon the night after. Like you know, it's all kind of public knowledge. But yeah, that, that's that the was pa- awesome. that's the power of Augusta National. Isn't it? Like that a, is that is that's someone tugging a string saying, "Hey, that's bigger than the RNA yeah. for me." Like yeah. RNA, you know, in USGA, they put stuff out, they get behind players, and you know, Georgia Hall is one of their ambassadors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they they just chucked their checkbook yeah, at right, it, okay. and yeah. and reaped the rewards, and the game did too. Probably need to get a wriggle on. Uh, we could talk about it for a long, a lot longer. Australia? Well, I was just going to say, maybe a segue here, Andy, is the power of Augusta because it crippled four Australians. Yeah, I guess that's, that's fair, really, isn't it? That's really harsh it's when probably we've had four guys fair. stand up to the plate, swing away and uh, make the cut and, you know, in some respects do really well. And mm. if you look back, the history will show you that Jason Day's tied for fifth and, geez, that looks good mm. on the history books and whatever. Well, from the bottom up, Cameron Smith had 14 birdies for the week mm. and we finished over par. Mark Leishman had 16 birdies and an eagle for the week, enough to win the tournament and finished over par. Adam Scott, let alone in the third round mm. with par five to play, tailed off. Jason Day was nine under standing on the 15th tee on the Saturday afternoon, took an inexplicable seven up the easiest hole on the course, well, second easiest hole on the course. Admittedly, it's got some punch if you get it wrong, but... He finishes the day at six under and just can't. He needed another two or three holes to oh, rattle God, past Tiger, just, yeah, and we were yeah. barracking like hell. But it was sand, you could see the sand slipping through his fingers when yeah. he when he sort of finished the third round the way he did. And all four of those guys are going to 
pick up the pieces at some stage and, you know, it's fine. And the bank big checks and they'll go home and everything's fine and we've, we've made the cut at the Masters. That's one that got away on so many levels. I think for Day, I think it's going to be hard for Day. I reckon he's the one that he, the other two were outside of Scotty. The other two were so far back. Their, their, their tournament was cooked by the, probably by the time they got on the first turn on Sunday. So that's true. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I guess it's more focused on Day and Scott. But they they have had enough birdies and good things happen to them yeah. to contend, and that doesn't happen every year. You, you roll up at Augusta. They should win. They should win the Masters. I don't know. He's thirty. What is he? Thirty-one. I don't know. Where, I don't know where he's going to. I, he, he's had, and it's been closing rounds, often on the Saturday that has been a problem for him. He, he just gets to a position where, for some reason, this happens, of course. But and his record there is fantastic. But he should win this tournament. He's such a good, got such a great short game, and he can and he can get it far enough out there to be able to get close enough to those tight pins. Um, you know, have irons in that allow him to get close enough to those tight pins that get tucked away. But you know, you wonder the body. The body's not his best friend, and no, the clock's ticking. We've mm, said that for a while yeah, on yeah. both of them. It, but it's definitely his body is going to cruel his chances if he doesn't get one soon. And as Ellie points out, um, you know, the the depth of talent at the top there is was was next level. He had him. He had his foot. He had his foot on the throat and just wriggled away. Mm. I, I, I don't want to sound disparaging to them at all because they've done really, really well to put themselves in that position. But you don't get those chances every day. I mean, you, you may never have it again. You you really need to stand on that mm-hmm. uh, opportunity and, and wrestle it down. I, you know, if you offered Jason Day a fifth in the, in the Masters when he was 18, he probably goes, you're you beauty. What a ripping yeah. thing. Right now he's thinking, bloody hell. Yep. Bloody hell. Yep, I agree know? with that. He's dumped a effectively a sandwich in the water at 15 mm. and then hadn't played a good fifth one in rec- in recovery. I mm. mean, oh, it's just so frustrating because you, you invest so much watching your Aussie boys, uh, you know, at Augusta National over the years. It's been bar one miracle afternoon. It's been, for me, since 1980 and Jack Newton, it's been like near 40 years of no, torture hard. and what could have been. Mm. We've got that many podium finishes. It's like enough, mm. enough. Mm. That's just me. Any last thoughts before we move on? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't have the worst record. What twentieth, twenty second, tenth, twenty eighth, twentieth, and was it third back in twenty thirteen? I mean, it, he's he's just not. Why do we? I don't know. There's something about the Masters where we ex, we want we want an Aussie there. That I feel like that's very. We're so much more passionate about that. About uh, none of us are going. We want an Australian to win the U.S. Open. <laughs> You know, yeah. I don't know. There's just something about it that yeah. kind of riles us, and I think that's where your passion's coming from. Yeah, obviously. just I, I, I'm giving him a little golf clap inside for being so good <laughs> and making the cut, mm. but just bugs. I just that's the one you want to get it. I, I I'm, it really irks me, and you can probably see it in my face right now. It just it just annoys me that we haven't done more there when we've had the chance to do so much more there. Well, who knows? Um, Ryan Ruffles might be our next winner of the U.S. Masters. <laughs> Uh, I'm predicting that he'll be playing in the Masters in 2023. 2023. I reckon he'll be be in there on world golf ranking order of merit. Merit, I should say, not order of merit. His world golf ranking will get him inside. That's the ascension that we're going to see from this young fella. And there wasn't a lot lot of golf played last week as out of respect to the Masters, but there was a tournament played in the Latino American Tour. And he went down, having spoken to us on Inside the Ropes a couple of weeks ago, he went down to Argentina um, and true to his word, and he, he 
he's he's back. I don't know. He's he's. I mean, <laughs> he's backish. He. he he played on the tenth of Feb. He played a pebble um, in the on the PGA Tour and missed the cut, um, and admitted sort of to us that maybe you know while he's not going to knock back invitations, it might be the best thing for him, you know, to be a bit more circumspect in the future before we're kind of rushing into playing in. And he said he said to us, you know, the next time I go on the PGA Tour, I want to one way onto the tour. I don't, I don't want to have invitations anymore. So he, he misses the cut on the tenth of Feb, and he's one thousand four hundred fifty fifth in world rankings. He's gone second and second in consecutive tournaments since, and he's gone up to 752. Now, that still sounds like a, like a long way away from it to me, but this kid's 20, and he's trying to do stuff. So good was he, so gifted was he from a natural playing perspective. He's just trying to do stuff that he wasn't ready to do. I reckon just listening to him last week, it just sounds like there's a an early realisation that's dawned upon Ryan Ruffles, and... I like what he's done the last couple of weeks. I reckon it's it's a really good sign for the future. Well, he was in a playoff last week, wasn't he? Mm. I think two-hole playoff and it was a par five. They both parted the first time round, and then the guy he was playing against ended up making a pretty incredible birdie from, I think, he, the lip of the bunker or something from yeah, what I heard. His ball was held up. His second shot was uh, on the lip of the bunker. He had to stand in the bunker to play it, and he knocked it to inside two feet. Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's not much you can do about that except force the issue mm. yourself, you know. And uh, he's he's been making looks. I think he's had five runner-up finishes in his career already so far. But you know, to your point about the world rankings, it depends how many events you're playing in the way that they work. So you look at someone like Mark Leishman, and Mark will play anywhere from probably 26 to 29 events that have points go towards mm. it. Ryan, the last couple of years, has averaged about 15 events, so he has. He's just got less points. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. and it's kind of turns into a bit of a rolling tally. But when you're playing events, so if you won the Masters, you got a hundred points. Ryan finishing runner up got I want to say four points. Yeah, I was, last I, week. Yeah, something like that. So yep. you know that's just the strength of field kind of way that the world rankings um work. But you can, you can if you get out on the main tours, you look at a guy like Minwoo Lee, Justin Harding as well, who had another great week, and he's inside the world top forty five and has shot up. Mm. He's, I think he's courted his world ranking in the last four months, um, South African bloke. So, you know, you're playing well, but you've got to do it at the at the right events, yep. I guess. And yep. he's just working his way there. And Harrison Endicott, just to wrap that up, down in Argentina, Andy finished tied 52nd. So he's at 23rd in the order of merit on the Latino America Tour. Yep. And Ryan's comfortably in third. He's, he's behind only the two tournament winners so far, which is obviously understandable. So what? Um, just so people who are maybe not au fait with where you have to be to get to where you want to go, what do you need to do? And the top five at yep. the end of the year get automatic uh, entry to the web.com tour the following year. So that's – and it basically runs the whole year. They have time on and off um, around different uh, seasons through South America and Central America. So um, it, it will go all year, but right now he's third. It functions – those kind of tours, they function the same way as um, like the Symmetra Tour for the women. If you're not winning, you have to play incredibly well throughout the year to actually get your card. Like yeah. in order to, for him to be in the top five, essentially, he has to win at least once or twice. Mm. Um, and that's just kind of the state of the game. He could come runner-up every every week and he might still not even mm. get there because the prize money is almost halved yep. between the first and second places. It's just the nature of the yep. beast. And, yep. that, oh gosh, having that push and wanting to get across the line, it's so hard to manage mentally. Um, but it sounds like he's doing a good job of it so far, but he's not far away. He, could, he shook his head in disgust when he, he shook um, the winner who was uh, Andre Echeverria 
and he shook his hand. How's that for a bit of Spanish? He crushed that. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, he shook his hand politely, you know, not in a DeChambeau sort of way, <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> which I know disgusts yep, you. Yep, yep. Um, and, and walked away and he was immediately like, you know, shaking his head like he can tell that hurt, which mm. I think from listening to what he told us is a really good sign. Obviously, he wants to win, obviously, but he's not fearful of where the ball's going now. Mm. He's confident that he's got the game around him to get the chocolates at some stage soon. Well, somebody who's trying to get to the same place is Bryson McPherson. Bryden McPherson, I should say, not Bryson. Bryden McPherson is about to join us on the other side. Of Anything else before we get to the break? Uh, no, I think we'll get it in, right the, in the last yeah, section, okay, maybe. We'll do that. We'll do that then. Um, Inside the Robes, episode number 98, Brian McPherson to join us when we come back. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen Listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. Welcome back to the show. Regular listeners to Inside the Ropes will know that Brian McPherson's been part of the family for a long time now, taking us on his uh, own journey and um, giving us his observations of life as a golf pro wherever uh, that road might take him and uh, in a week that's been pretty significant to the game we've already spent a fair bit of time talking about you know the Masters obviously and Tiger it's great to have a pro's perspective on the show Bryden thanks again for your time mate hey thank, no, thanks for having me guys where do we find you you find me currently in uh, Boal in China uh, I actually I think I called in from this uh, location last year um, this is where they have the big forum for Asia, like the Asian G20. So it's kind of cool. There's photos of world leaders everywhere, but uh, we'll focus on the nice little golf course here. Um, we That's need to warm. speak to you, before we speak to you about you know your your continuing journey. We have to speak. We have to get your perspective on what took place yesterday. Can you? Where were you? Where were you, where were you sitting when you watched it all sort of play out? And uh, what are your kind of main takeaways from it? Well, I just finished playing four rounds in excruciating heat. So I was pretty tired. And I actually, uh, as luck would have it, fell asleep when they were on about the third. And then I woke up when they were on the 17th. So that worked pretty well. Um, but I caught up on uh, a few of the highlights and stuff so I could sound educated when I talked to you guys. Although that disclaimer kind of negates that. But, um, <laughs> the, I thought it was uh, I thought it was really interesting. You know, I've, I'll be the first to admit that I've been in the camp for a long time that Tiger wasn't going to win another major. Um, but I have been in the side of that camp that is, uh, if he was going to win a major, it would be the Masters. Um, just because he has so many good reps around that golf course. Um, and he obviously knows it really well. And he feels comfortable there. So now that it's happened, I'm not surprised. Um, But I think my take on it is that uh, I think people are using the word comeback a lot. Um, I I don't think it's a comeback, personally. I think it's a reinvention. Because he is definitely not the same person that he was Mm. when he was winning all of his majors up until 2007. Um, He was a sort of a ruthless competitor back then. You know, he played his practice rounds 
with like Omira first thing in the morning, no one else around. He didn't want anyone else to deal with. He just wanted Omira there with him. Um, he wasn't the guy to stand on the range and give people advice. He was just focused on himself and he was just ruthless. Um, and that showed in the way that he played. And he's just not that guy anymore. Uh, he's, uh, he's obviously, whether on purpose or not, he's taking such a more approach to um, try and be almost like a mentor figure to a lot of the guys on the tour and to be like this, uh, something more than just a player. Um, I think he, his whole scandal maybe forced him to grow up a little bit in his, in his own mind, to maybe, you know, see that there were other things in golf and maybe he didn't need to be that ruthless competitor anymore. But I just took a couple of things away from how he played yesterday as well. Like he was the, uh, he was the rock in the ocean. You know, he just did his thing. He played solid and he kind of let everyone else just fall around him. And then he was, he emerged the victor. That is not, how he used to win golf tournaments. Um, it was that he would get out in front and people would be trying to catch him and they couldn't. Uh, and I thought, I thought that was really interesting. It's not a comment like good or bad because winning a major is winning a major. But I just thought he did it really differently. And I think you can tell the fact that he laid up on his 30-yard pitch on 18 hmm. where he hit it up the, like towards the slope so he couldn't hit it over the green and make six. That's just not something that he would have even thought about in 2007. So I think it just shows that I don't think it's a comeback. I think he's reinvented himself as a different kind of person and a different kind of golfer. And he's just proven that that type of person and that type of golfer can still win a major. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think um, when you look at the stats, yeah, Brighton, because it's the first time that yeah. he's actually out of his – so he's now five wins, but it's the first time that he's ever gone into the final day without the lead to go on to win. He's, his first four wins there, mm. he had the 54-hole lead. Um, going into the final day, about the kind of social rehabilitation, I guess, if you can call it that way, do you think the concept of him opening up a little bit more and letting people into his life, and I'm talking about the crowds, you know, consumers of social media as well, how much do you think that played a part in his victory on the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, he sort of probably feels like he's um, healed some of the wounds over the years. And like you said, he's done a a pretty obvious job of trying to let people in a little bit more. Um, and I think that's kind of, it always takes time, but I think it became okay again in the last couple of years to be able to root for him. And I think that that could only help him. And I can only imagine standing on that green as him and having everyone chanting his name. Um, that's got to be something pretty special. Uh, but yeah, you're right. And that kind of goes to, you know what I was saying? Like it's it's a reinvention. He's a different he's a different tiger. He hasn't come back to the old tiger. He's reinvented himself as a new tiger who's going to be the captain of the President's Cup team. You know, hardly he wouldn't have been qualified for that when he was twenty seven or twenty eight. He's qualified now. Do you think there's any chance now? Like I was lucky enough to sit in on a, a press conference with Padraig Harrington and Thomas Bjorn in in uh, what was it Malaysia recently. And they both said there's no way you could be Ryder Cup captain and be a playing cup, uh, be a playing captain these days. Do you think it's in the back of his mind? He's just sprung up inside the president. I think top ten at least in the six, president's six, cup. Six, I think you can, yeah, 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 in the president's cup rankings. If there was ever a player to do the impossible in that, would it be Tiger? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Um, 
are comparable but not the same. Uh, I, it, the, I think the demands on the captain might be a little bit less for the President's Cup, but only marginally. So I think, you know, I guess we'll find out if you can be a player and a captain because I can't imagine relinqu- relinquishing his captaincy and I can't imagine him uh, starting to shoot 75 again either. So he's going to be doing both. So I guess we'll find out. Where are you at, mate? We've, um, we've spoken enough about Tiger and those observations, might I say, are, are fantastic. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff said and there's a few things in there that are fresh and, um, of course, you would have thought about it slightly differently than a few others. So uh, it's been really worth talking to you about that. Where are you at with your, um, your schedule at the moment? Have you been playing much to bring us up to date with, with where you're at and what's in front of you? So I've just played my first three events of the year. Uh, I took a bit of a different approach to my off-season, pre-season to try and actually spend some time working on a few things, working on a few things that uh, I feel have held me back um, and to try and do a real kind of proper pre-season as opposed to kind of just going around and playing wherever I can and playing mini tours and all this kind of stuff. Uh, I tried to be a bit more organised and... So we'll see how that goes. The first, I've played three events. Uh, it's been solid. There's been enough good there to win, but just a little bit, uh, you know, too much bad. But still finishing pretty much in, like, the top 20 uh, all three weeks. And uh, so it's, it's it's kind of – it's right there. But I'm about to play a whole lot. I got – so this is going to – I'm kind of in the middle of a five-week-in-a-row stretch. And I'm going to have two weeks off and then five more in a row and then two weeks off and then five more. So – it'll be really good to kind of get to the end of that sort of 14, 15 events and kind of see whether or not uh, what I've been doing in the preseason has been, um, has been good. Uh, I, I believe that it is, but, uh, you know, the results speak for themselves. Hopefully they'll tell a good story. <laughs> Scoring's been pretty hot there in China, and you've seen a, it would appear from afar as though the standard there is getting better each year. Would that be a fair comment? Definitely. It's, it's uh, especially the last three weeks, noticeably better on the PGA Tour China because uh, a lot of the Americans have caught wind um, of the the tour and the opportunity. And it's currently still probably the easiest of the three tours to sort of qualify, uh, you know, for the web.com through. Um, Canada has been packed in really tight and all those guys are really good players. And it's a sprint season. It's only like nine events over 10 weeks. So, uh I think a lot of the Americans have caught wind of China, so they've been over there, and, and yeah, there's probably like 30 or 40 of them last week. There are Americans that didn't know each other. That's when I was like, okay, there's a lot of Americans here because they don't even know each other. <laughs> um, and normally it's a, they're pretty, normally they're a pretty tight-knit group, but we're sitting down at lunch, and guys are like, hey, you know, my name is this, and they're like, oh, you guys don't know each other? Yeah, that's how many Yanks are over here. So um, it's definitely an uptick in the, in the quality, but I think... Uh, you know, it's it's still uh, um, probably not quite on the level of Canada, but it's still, you know, it's. it's I mean, you're not going to get anywhere in the world where you can uh, get away with playing average golf and get exceptional results. It's just not going to happen anymore. In terms of the multicultural, you know, nature of golf in China, you know, I think there was four four Americans in the top ten last week, and then there was Japan, Germany, uh, what Singapore. Um, I think that was in Australia with James Marcassani playing well as well. But who? how do we rank in terms of the Aussies, in terms of adapting to life overseas 
in particular in Asia. I think it's it's been a strength of ours in the past, but I'd love to hear how the other countries go about it as well. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think uh, I would. That doesn't surprise me, by the way. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing. I think the the Aussies the Aussies are still really good at adapting because you know we travel from when we're so young because you have to travel to go anywhere. And we're kind of exposed to lots of different cultures. The Americans still get kind of, they're in their own bubble a little bit in the States. So they, but they're getting better at adapting. Um, I just think it's one of those things, golf's becoming more and more global. So I think people are just becoming more and more adapted at playing global golf. Um, And China gets a little bit uh, frustrating sometimes because the culture is so, different and so polar opposite to our western culture in a lot of ways uh so it that does wear on people so it's only been three events on the pga tour china so i'll probably be able to answer that question really well in september hopefully (laughs) so slightly slight follow-up from that how many players um that you kind of teeing you've been teeing it up against each week for the last three how many players in those fields wouldn't think that they should be playing golf somewhere else, or, or they are desperate to be playing somewhere else. Is this a complete through tour? Like, give us a perspective for that. Yeah, it's a it's a feeder tour. That's what it is. It's a feeder tour to a feeder tour. So it's the those three tours: the Latino America, and the Canada, and the China PGA Tour. Um, you know, they're designed for the PGA Tour to get its web out there and encompass as many people from all over the world to get them into the web.com system as they can. And then from the web, they hope that some of those guys will play well and then they'll get um, a, you know, a new batch of sort of five or ten players uh, from different countries onto the PGA Tour and into that system each year. Um, you know, that's the thing because it creates more interest from global companies, from uh, other countries, from other cultures in their brand. And that's kind of one of the reasons why the world rankings are skewed outside of the PGA Tour, so they can cherry-pick the best players from Japan and Europe, bring them over, and increase their brand that way. Um, it's, it's a fairly obvious system in, in you know, but they do it well because, you know, they're pretty successful at what they do. Bryden, we haven't had a chance to chat to you. Much have been uh, flat out with so many domestic things that we haven't really had a chance to chat to you about bigger picture stuff. Um, obviously, January was the start of the new rules, and it's been fraught with controversy um, from start to finish at a professional level. I don't think it's had too many uh, hiccups at club land, but from a um, professional level, from your professional standpoint, I'd love to hear what you make of what's happened, uh, any quirky rules that you see are problematic, or more so is it something that the, the pros have adapted to in, in, in a way that you see either brilliantly or pathetically? Yeah, I really think that... Um I don't really get to have, you know, much of a, an opinion on the rules because they're the rules, right? So, so just you're supposed to follow them, not uh, talk about them. Um, the as for leaving the flag in, I, I like that rule, although it does go against really the concept of the game where you're supposed to put the ball in the hole, not hit the flag stick with the ball. Uh, so that kind of changes it a little bit. We've been using it putting from sort of. 20, 30, 40 feet, especially when you don't have caddies at some of these events. So that's, that's helpful. It helps speed up play a little bit. I like tapping it in with the flag in. That's, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, as for everyone's making fun of the dropping, 
you know, I would think that if you're not flexible to bend over to hold the ball in the position and drop it, then you've got bigger problems. <laughs> but um, I think the... Uh, I, I, as for the guys making fun of the dropping, I think that's just really poor form. Um, you know, there's an obvious reason. It's the same reason that they used to drop it over the shoulder and they went to dropping it in front at shoulder height. It's because the ball, you know, could go anywhere. You drop it over your shoulder. That's the point. And people just got kept dropping the ball like into hazards and all kinds of stuff. So they put it somewhere where you can control it more. Same thing now. So when I drop it now, the ball doesn't go anywhere near as far as it used to on most surfaces. And that's the idea. It's to speed up place so they don't have to re, like, re-drop and re-drop and place. Um, and, you know, I like the standardization of three drops are one club length, you know, and just regardless of anything. Uh, I think there's just kind of done a pretty good job of like slimlining, streamlining, sorry, the rules and uh, swimming out some of the stuff. And I think just it's just been another example of um, some of the entitlement baked into not only my generation, but also uh, on the PGA Tour from a lot of the guys in their bubble and, and uh, they just don't want to have to deal with anything, any kind of sort of problems or difficulties or anything like this. Uh, so they just like to make fun of it and think that they can, um, you know, get away with it. I think the the controversy on the PGA Tour was uh, with Denny McCarthy at, uh, the, at the Phoenix Open where he got penalised for the new rule where you caddy can't be behind you when you're taking your address position. Um, I mean, that's a rule targeted pretty much directly at the LPGA Tour that may as well have at LPGA Tour at the end of that ruling. Um, and and I think it's a good rule because I think as uh, professionals who play for millions of dollars, lining yourself up should be a necessary skill. Um, so I think that's not too much to expect from some of the best players in the world that they can line themselves up. Um, so... And I watched that video of Denny, and I know Denny. He's uh, he's a good guy, he's an honest guy, good player, hard worker, all this stuff. But I watched that video, and I said, well, that's a, new, that's a penalty, 100% under the new rules. Because um, the only way now that you can get out of uh, having, a, uh, having a penalty if you take a, an address position and then step back, that only applies on the putting ring. doesn't apply on the full shot. So Jim Furyk has had fluff line him up forever, and then he takes a step back, and then he readdresses that's fine on the putting green, but it's not fine on the full shot. And that's what Denny did. And uh, then the fact that the, the tour players think that they can just try and bend the rules because they don't like that they broke the rules by accident, I think is ridiculous. I think they should just follow the rules. I mean, the rest of us have to. More, more broadly, rather than a specific I, assessment of the rules, do you think that the players... Um, have too much influence that the players themselves on the big tours can be seen to be shaping public opinion as opposed to the USGA or RNA doing that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's partly a, like a function of social media uh, and just like people's accessibility to the players that they never used to have. Um, previously it was the journalists that acted as the medium between players and the public and now it's just, you know, their Twitter account. Um, so I think there's a more direct thing there. So players are more prone to just kind of speak their mind. And that kind of cuts out any kind of filtering that could go on. 
But I, I mean, players have always shaped what goes on in the game. That's happened forever. Happens in all sports. But I think at golf in the moment, it's happening, happening too publicly. It always used to be private. And, you know, I'm okay with that because some of the best players in the world, I think, have earned the, uh, the right to be heard and earn the right to have some influence over the years. Someone like Tiger Woods has earned the right to influence the game if he thinks it can be better. Um, so I don't, I don't mind that at all. But I think that the public influence and the public shaming that the millennials on the tour have taken to doing in order to invoke change is just childish. Yeah, I guess there's that. It's, it's kind of the, the concept. I think, what was the, the outrage brigade or something like that? It, mm. I think it's been reflected. And I don't, I don't know how many players that you know have done the same thing, Brighton, but a lot of my friends on tour have actually taken leaves of absence from social media after things have been happening. They've realised that they've gotten into too many altercations via social media with these essentially faceless people. Are you seeing much of that on the men's side as well, where people are just kind of getting a little bit fed up with being held accountable for every single thing that they do when often it's taken out of context? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a this is a much longer conversation than a podcast, and I'd love to have it one day <laughs> with you, Ali. That'd be great. But because um, I have some very, uh, you know, some very strong opinions on, on what I think is going on with all this social media and public shaming and all this kind of stuff that is just kind of getting out of control. Um, but, yeah, in short, it does happen. You know, it happens to me a little bit on social media. I haven't been on my Twitter account since, I don't know, December. Well, that's why um, you haven't responded to all my nice messages to you then. <laughs> yeah, that, that is it, Mark. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's so, why. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's why. Um, you know, uh, I got accidentally kind of locked out of my account and I was a little bit too much effort to get in. I thought, oh, I might take a little hiatus, but I think I might have to get back on there now that uh, to kind of if at the very least help promote you guys a little bit. Well, that's it. You, we you kind of like <laughs> our foreign. The, um, you're our foreign correspondent, Brighton. We need you. We need your eyes on. Your eyes on the ground. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you. I was. You got your fifth choice. Um, the, <laughs> I think. I, hey, I don't rate yourself so. Don't rate yourself so highly. Yeah, I know. Right. I was, yeah. Sorry. Um, so I think. You know, it gets a little bit out of control, and and I think honestly, that's one of the, kind of take it full. That's one of the things that Tiger's been dealing with since you know oh seven oh eight. Um, obviously, of his own making, and not to feel sorry for him. But I think the recovery, public recovery from that, uh, takes a lot longer because of the current situation with you know social media and and everyone uh, thinking that they can kind of just get a piece of anyone at any time um and i just think that it's uh yeah but i think the players using their public image um to do things like invoke changes in the ruling and make making fun of the institutions that are in our game that have been around a lot longer than them and will be around a lot longer than them i think is just childish Mate, always worth hearing your voice. Uh, there's a thousand other things we could uh, get stuck into. Uh, we'll hold a few of them for the next time, and we'll hold a few of the other ones for the time after that. Um, good luck. Good to see you playing, you know, well. And we can't wait for you to find uh, what you think the next level is uh, and what you want it to be, uh, and you start playing even better. We'll be keeping an eye on you from afar, mate. We appreciate you again joining us on Inside the Ropes. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me.
Good on you. Brian McPherson, who's very much part of the family, uh, tuning in and uh, dialing in from China. Uh, keep an eye on him through the various um, outlets that allow you to stay in touch with people who are playing their golf in all parts of the world. Uh, we're going to break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. Back with more after this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Welcome back to the show. Uh, always enjoy listening to him, I've got to say. I find him uh, one of the more interesting sports people to talk about his sport and the broader issues than um, than many others, to be honest. And he's not afraid to actually give no. his mates a clip if he thinks they're out of line, and I love that too. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so tidying bits and pieces up, uh, we should we should probably dive a bit deeper into what's been going on up in China. Yeah, we should. Um, and just to, to wrap that up, for this week, um, Charlie Dan made another cut and sits nicely. He was 42nd uh, in Haiko. Is that what we're saying, Ellie? Mm-hmm. Haiko. Yep. 42nd in Haiko uh, to leave him 17th on the order of merit. Same system applies yep. for the PGA Tour of China as it does for the um, the one we Latino. mentioned earlier in Latino, Latino America. Yep. Uh, Corey Hale missed the cut. Max McArdle finished tied 19th. He's 31st. Bryden didn't give us his numbers, but he tied 17th and he's 21st. And James Marquezani was the standout this week, Ali, as you mentioned, 5th. And he rose up to 14th in the order of merit. So good effort. Yeah, I think James maybe had a bit of a bung end of the deal as well. They had a weather delay and when he actually had a bit of momentum, came back, made a double bogey after that. And I think that kind of, you know, hurt his chances a little bit. But essentially, oh, I looked at his swing actually over the weekend. James Marquezani. He's got, he's got some tempo on him. I was going to say, if you walked onto a range and you knew not one player from another and James Marquezani happened to be on that range, you would, and you said, who's the best player on this range? And you had the top 50 players in the world and James Marquezani. Some people would be excused for saying, oh, that bloke over there, he's the best player here. And point at James Marquezani. He has got, he's got a golf swing to die for. He's, got, a, he's got Freddie Couples tempo. It's amazing. Which is mm. one of the biggest compliments you can get, I think. Speaking and he's, and he's Ma- got the rock's arms. Yeah, it comes from his old man. <laughs> you're, dark, you're dark on him that he's chosen golf and not playing for Carlton. No, 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 no. It's good seeing Frank at the golf. I love it. Um, speaking of Max McArdle, you just reminded me. Oh, yeah. Chewy. Chewing gum became a thing at Augusta. There was more people chewing gum, and people were sort of suggesting that it was a relaxer, you know, sort of got the jaw going, took the tension out of the jaw, and you know, was a, there was a trickle-on effect um, from a – Kind of sedate, sed, from a sedative, sedative, sedation. I was going to say sedative. Trying to help you. No, I knew I was going to say the wrong word as it was coming. I was going to say sedative. You've become sedentary in this. I haven't had enough sleep. That's my problem. (laughs) Anyway, it helps them relax. Um, Max McArdle on Twitter, when people were having this conversation, said something very curious that we need to get Max on the show to explain what he was talking about here. Yeah. So um, talk about the chewy and the fact you go. He said something like, "Have you got it up? Are you good enough to have got it up?" I yeah, have, that was pretty good research from me on the super fly. Super quick. Uh, Matt Ballard, who um, you know, well known to many in Australian golf, uh, said on Twitter, "I said a few years ago, chewing gum would help a lot of golfers. Helps loosen the jaw and remove unwanted tension." Bit of me time for Matty. Look at me. Look at me. I, I said this. <laughs> Tiger Woods doing it. I saw Phil Mickelson doing it this week, and a couple of years ago, I saw Jordan Spieth doing it. I bet it's not to ensure they have clean, fresh breath. 
Well, he said breathe, Andy, but I'll give That's him okay. I'll, I'll right. edit him on the fly. And Max McArdle, who, you know, is a pretty straight shooter Terrific as well. bloke. Good, oh, great good fellow. Fella. Yep. Responded, I will bet it's more than just gum also. Righto, Ellie. You're the, you're the former player here. What's he talking about? It's more than just gum. We know baseballers, like, in the day, used to like chewing stuff that had little shards of broken glass in it that had the tobacco, allowed the tobacco to get into their bloodstream a bit quicker. Um, what's what's going on here? I mean, it could be it could be like Nicorette, like a relaxer. Like, like it could be. The, I don't, I, you know, because technically, I don't, you know, nicotine isn't a performance enhancing drug. You're you're like, like Justin Harding, a bloke I mentioned before. He smokes on the uh. golf course. You know, you can talk about the cigar, the cigar crew on the men's tour as well. Um, it could be that. I mean. I'll never forget, I went and visited Jared Lyle actually out in New York at a web.com event like 10, 15 years ago. And I was playing college at the time and I went up and just had a week off. And um, we were walking around and I saw the bloke he was playing with and he, he was just spitting everywhere. And I looked at Jared and I thought, oh, what's he, what is he what is this bloke doing? Like, well, you can't spit on the greens. And he goes, it's even worse. He's chewing tobacco. Yeah, right. So it's stained. Yeah, yeah. And so this bloke was just walking around. And that, you know, Jared's such a straight shooter that he was not, he's like, this is filthy. He was not, <laughs> he was not buying it at all. And so it kind of became our running joke for the whole week. You know, that, you know, if he, if he hit a bad shot, I'd spit over the roads at him. But, nice. um, yeah, char- right such, a, early, such a charmer. Yeah, right. <laughs> Your mum will be so I'm proud a, of you. I'm a real lady. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we we don't actually see that many guys doing it visibly, but a lot of guys on the PGA Tour um, they call it dipping, so they do have chewing tobacco in. Okay, right. A lot on. of them. I don't know what if they do it while under the pump, but I, I don't even. I, I thought worse than that, to be honest with you, Andy. I thought it was some sort of, you know, potentially some sort of. Um, I don't even know what they're called, but a beta blocker. Yeah, yeah. that's what I that's that's what I thought it was going to. That's what it, it was laced with something that. You know, might have been dropping the heart rate. So ask Max, yeah, I guess. No, well, well Maxie, if you're listening, yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> I hope we will. I, he's in China, obviously, so I haven't bugged him, and it's been a flat out couple of days. But we will. We'll make a point yeah, of, of getting him. Uh, um, junior interstate series. Um, we've had a famous name attach itself to um, one of the um, uh, Australian junior was, championships. There's a series of junior championships being played in Queensland, and we've oh, we're recording this on Tuesday, and we're into the. Um, Fourth round of competition as we're doing this between the states at the uh, Toowoomba and also Sanctuary Cove Golf Clubs for the girls and Toowoomba for the boys. I should have, I should have done more research, Andy. I apologise. It's been a hard week, Hazy. Um, we, we, I think we're on track to see some interesting results. Actually, to be mm. honest, I think um, the the, um, the smaller populations of some of the states are going to punch well above their weight from what I can see early on, which is fantastic, and that's what we want to see happen. Uh, last week, also in Queensland, uh, the the uh, the girls were playing. Uh, High Park won the Australian Girls Junior Championship. Um, just a, a phenomenal achievement. Uh, rounds of six, 65, 73, 70 at Coolangatta Tweed Heads. The first one was a eight under par course record Jeez. on the river course there. Just phenomenal golf. She's only 15. She's been in Australia for uh, probably around three years, I think. Uh, a name to really keep your eye on. Uh, great scoring. At age 15 there, it's phenomenal. So well played. She not only gets to start in the ISPS Handle Women's Australian Open, but also 
in the IMG Junior World Championship in California in July. Outstanding. And on the boys' side of things? On the boys' side, um, it's a name that a lot of people will be familiar with. Elvis Smiley is the 2019 Australian Boys Amateur Champion, um, the soon-to-be-famous in his own right son of Liz Smiley, the famous and delightful tennis player, who at his home home club, if we thought the other ones were good, uh, he shot rounds in, on the – well, it was the one day um, he played 36 holes to finish it on the third day and came out on his final day, the left-handed uh, Elvis Smiley, Ali – and carded rounds of 63-69. What about them for 36 holes? That goes all right. Um, An extraordinary performance, and he's a a delightful young fella, uh, and he he won comfortably, um, or from by five strokes. At 13 under he was, and he won by five strokes from Kazuma Kabori, and that normally you just go, who? And yes, he's a young New Zealand fella. But he won the New Zealand PGA Championship. What? I'm kidding you not. He won the New Zealand PGA Championship a handful of weeks ago, Ellie. And, you know, that, that's unbelievable to think that a young Kiwi fellow uh, could come over and play the boys' junior having won the PGA Championship, senior <laughs> open professional men. Uh, but he did. And that just underscores what happened with, with Elvis Smiley. 63, 69, awesome. 36 holes one day and had a huge gallery for the Australian Junior Championships at Southport, his home club. They loved every second of it and roared him home. Well done, young fella. Can't wait to see a bit more of you. Hashtag him. He's getting close if he's not already golden era. Right right golden on. plus. <laughs> <laughs> golden plus here. I have to say, before we go, it's not the 63 that catches my eye out of that. It's the 69 after it. Good because point. Good point. It is very hard to back up around like that when you're a youngster. Yeah. Did a good job. Uh, the Outback Series. We Did we mention this last week? We should mention we, it We again. have. We're going to mention it regularly. Um, just if you want to get involved with a, a great new innovation, see a bit of Outback Australia that you probably dreamt of seeing for a long time. Play a bit of golf while you're doing it. Get to experience what Outback Queensland's all about. WWW Outback QLD Masters, June, July. Um, it's just a ripping chance to play a bit of golf and maybe win a million dollars if you're good enough in Mount Isa in the grand finale. Well, you said a fortnight ago that you were going to make sure that we use your significant powers to make sure that uh, Inside the Ropes followed the tour for a couple of weeks and we reported and did the podcast on location. Have you had any luck? Uh, I have made Martin Blake keener than mustard to, to well, do it. Well, he's not going to help it get done. You need to speak to people <laughs> far higher up the totem pole than That's he. true. If I can speak to someone at Tourism Events Queensland, I'm I am I, I'm going to make that happen. Oh, I'd love to hear Blakey speak to us from Roma or Longreach. Or... No, I want to speak to us. We're all up there together. A whole lot of us are going. Oh. Not just him. We oh. all go up there. <laughs> We do a podcast we, from Outback Queensland. Absolutely, we, we do. Camp, we camp a van and a couple of microphones. That's what, what we do. You coming, Ellie? Bushfire. Well, not a bushfire. A we don't want, want, want a bushfire. Thank <laughs> no, you. No, we don't yeah. need that. It's a bit dry. You'll be on the trip. No. You'll come up with us, wouldn't you? Yeah, it sounds pretty fun, actually. No, no, that wasn't a resounding yes. <laughs> it's a yes. Yeah, it wasn't a resounding oh, yes. Oh, I never say no to a trip. Just come on. Thinking, I, can, I can think of a better bazillion people I'd rather go away with than these two clowns. That is it. Anything else before we get out of here? Ellie, you, have, you normally bring us something, some little gem. You must have Ooh. something. Just having you as a gem oh, for us. No, I just I think on the uh, on the radar, it's the Lotte Championship on the LPGA. Minji Lee is heading back to a place that she won at three years ago in Hawaii. Um, windy, not a particularly long golf course, but it'll suit her game. So maybe something to tune into this week. And when are you back on the airwaves that we can all tune into? Uh, <laughs> back, at, uh, back out with the European Tour at the Volvo China Open. 
I'll be out there. Good so on you. three we'll, weeks. We'll look forward to listening to your dulcets and seeing <laughs> you. Lovely. Uh, that's been it. Episode number 98. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of Inside the Ropes, in the can, done and dusted. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.